Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Welcome back. Afternoon drive. Goodman Fry. Watch us. MileEyeSports.com. You can reach us. Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed at T Fry at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for wholesale lumber to the public, go to RMFP.com. Time now for the lead. The lead presented by Sasquatch Casino in Blackhawk. So we know the importance of goaltending in the playoffs, especially when you get a hot goalie. Lightning have the best guy in the world right now. I understand uh, Shesterkin was terrific during the regular season, but at the end of the day... For the Rangers. Yeah, but at the end of the day, Vasilevsky is Vasilevsky. You know what? He stands on his head. I, Ed, I did not know that. The Avs have Darcy Kemper, Pavel Francouz. I'm sorry, but they're good. They're not great. With that, it's hard to say that, generally speaking, during this entire playoff run, that either Francois or Kemper have been the dominant goalie on the ice during these playoffs when the Avs have played. The other goaltender you can make a case most of the time, not all the time, has outplayed either Kemper or Francois. With that, uh, Avs are heavy favorites to win this series with Vasilevsky in goal, with either Kemper or Pavel Francouz in goal, with the Lightning being the two-time defending champs, why? I would like to sit here and think that the odds for the Avalanche being overwhelming favors, minus 180-ish, is because of cold-hearted statistical analysis by gamblers who are watching their money carefully and want to win. But I do think there's some... I think there's still room for some sentimentality and fandom in all of this. And I think a lot of it is testimony to people just enjoy watching them play. Would like rooting for them. Would like looking out there and saying, that Nathan McKinnon, what a speed burner. He's such a joy to watch. Kale McCarr is becoming known as potentially one of the greatest defensemen, if not the greatest defenseman ever to play a game. He's only 23, so there's a lot to be written there still. But I think I think the... Uh, Tremendous favoritism being shown the avalanche on the betting front is part and parcel of kind of that sentiment that they're the most fun, entertaining team to watch that's come down the pike in a long time since the, uh, probably since the 80s Oilers. I, I think you're on to something, and I'm going to continue with it. I have a friend who is a professional gambler, and he said to me, when it comes to betting the Super Bowl, most people take the over. Mm-hmm. Not the under. They take the over. No matter who's playing. But then doesn't that line move? It does. And and this is the thing. People tend to bet the over, and yes, the line moves. Because generally speaking, if you think about it, as you're watching a game, are you rooting for scoring or are you rooting for defense? Most people root for scoring, and that's why they take the over. I, I'm now, laughing because you're sitting there watching, and you're going, well, I'm out of this. Well, you, well, a, a lot of people don't want to watch a Super Bowl and say, don't score, don't score, don't score. It's interesting, the word that you use when it comes to gambling. Action. It's action when it comes to gambling, when mm-hmm. a lot of people bet, but it's also the action they are thirsting for, and that's why they bet in the game. Let's look at 
the top two defenses in football over the last 10 years, and I'll tell you what they have in common. In 2013, Super Bowl 48, the Broncos had the highest scoring offense in NFL history, and they played the Seattle Seahawks. Who was favored in that game? The Broncos. Why? Because it was offense. And we all knew, even going into that Super Bowl, how good Seattle was defensively. Now, two years later, you had Cam Newton, the league MVP, against the Broncos. And who was favored in that game? Carolina. And Broncos barely even had a quarterback at that point, meaning Peyton Manning was on his mm-hmm. last legs. The betting public will will bet on the offensive team, I believe, far more than the defensive team. That's why I think the Avalanche are heavy favorites because people want to see offense. And I think we're agreeing. Yeah. I think the smart play is to bet on the Seahawks and the Broncos in Super Bowl 50 because that's what this game is going to be. I'm not saying it's going to be a defensive game. I bet on the two-time champs. I bet on the the the, the top goalie in the world. I bet on uh, uh, four defensemen for the Lightning that are big and can skate. And I would bet on a guy like Stamkos, who is clutch as a captain, and they have two excellent lines. They have everything going their way. And I used this analogy before at the top of the 4 o'clock hour, and I will say it again. I don't want to have paralysis by analysis. And I know everybody's going to analyze this game. I have talked to two former NHL players about this. And I told them what I thought. And I talked to one guy specifically today, and I said, to me, this is like a game of tennis. You have a guy who has big power shots with his forehand and his backhand, and then on the other side, you have the Tampa Bay Lightning who are like a wall, and they just return everything. What happens to to the power player? Eventually, he gets impatient, and eventually he has an unforced error. And I think that's what's going to happen with the Avalanche. They will score, and, and they, they, will, they will do some things offensively in this game. And I know their defense is very good. But you have a very disciplined Tampa Bay team. Very disciplined. Kind of like, and you brought this up in the last hour, as disciplined as New Jersey was with that left-wing lock. Disciplined. They are not going to be rattled. They are not going to be shaken by the speed of the avalanche. They will find a way. And even though I know the Rangers are not as good as the avalanche offensively, the Rangers could not get past the neutral zone in their final game. I'm going to sort of buttress your point by saying that I think you're underestimating in some ways in your praise of the Lightning. I think you're underestimating their their offensive potential in play also. I mean, I think the Stamkos, Palat, Kucherov line can still take over a game. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to give them credit for that and for the possibility that it could happen at an off off nights. We saw, let's remember, we have seen that the Avalanche can have off nights offensively during the playoffs. And I think on those nights, the, the Lightning's top line is perfectly capable of taking over the game. We saw Ryan O'Reilly at least neutralize Nathan McKinnon. Uh-huh. And I, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of nodding my head with some of the things you're saying, but I'm, I still think the, the uh, Lightning also have potential to take over a game offensively. It isn't going to just be shutting down the Avalanche or getting better goaltending necessarily. I think there could be. There could be that night where they solve Vasilevsky and and still have 
get by in a close high-scoring game or lose a high-scoring game. It's possible. Is it fair to but, say? But it's going to take short-term memory on everybody's part. The team with the best short-term memory can win the Stanley Cup final by forgetting the night they, they were just aberrationally, aberrations and awful. The Avalanche are the smaller, quicker team. Is that fair to say? Smaller, uh, yeah. Smaller, quicker team. So let's use a boxing analogy here. Sugar when, Ray when, Leonard? So we'll use Sugar Ray Leonard as our example, okay? When he's fighting a guy like Roberto Duran, who's a brawler, you don't want to go into a phone booth. No moss, no moss. Right. You don't want or a Marvin Hagler. You do not want to go into a phone booth with a Hagler or a or a um, Duran. And going into a phone booth and, and using the hockey term, mm-hmm. that means you're not getting much space. And they're not going to allow a lot of space for the Avs to move that puck around. I don't believe they are. I think they're going to come out a little bit. And the other thing is this, and we talked about this again in the last hour, but I'll repeat it. How many times this season, and it's pretty much all the time, when the Avs are on the power play and McKinnon basically gets a running start to his own blue line, mm-hmm. he's not going to get that. You don't think so? Not as consistently. Nope. How are they going to do that? Because they're going to move a guy closer to the blue line. That's easier said than done. I understand that, but they're disciplined enough to do it. They're disciplined and they're smart enough. And I'm not suggesting the Avs are not. We, we, I keep hearing about Vasilevsky and the experience of the Lightning. All of that is true. But they have players who can execute as well. These guys defensively, in terms of just physical stature, are monsters. And they can skate. And on the forecheck, the Avs are not that big. They're going to get pounded on those boards. If they thought Edmonton, when but, they were going well, at times they were getting pounded, they're going to get pounded. But you're acting as if nobody else has seen any of that or or, or uh, implemented any of that type of approach over the course of the regular season. And I realize you're playing Columbus some nights and you're playing Arizona some nights. But, but you're, so but it's you're, somewhat of an aberrational but example. You're, but, but you're preparing differently for the playoffs in a potential seven-game series than you are in game 42. Yeah. When you're coming off of two games and three nights. It's a very different preparation here. I'll ask you who has the coaching advantage Tampa with Cooper. I would say or Bednar with the Avalanche. I would say that. And I like pretty, Bednar a lot. That's pretty much a push. And I understand okay. Cooper and Bednar are two of the best coaches in the league. So it's not denigrating either one of them to not put him above the other one. In this case, if you maybe pick one coach, I, I would probably take John Cooper and that's right. Not, that's not necessarily Here. a knock on Jared Bednar. I'm going to go on something that, you, that you've been saying throughout these playoffs. Jared Bednar has given the Avalanche Blue Liners a mandate to jump into the play, correct? Correct. So if they're, if they're getting shots blocked and they're not getting anything towards Vasilevsky, what are they going to do? They're going to move up closer from that blue line. They're going to press. No, I think they will find a way to maneuver around it and... Uh... Uh, in, in forms, in manners that are electric, they will find a way to solve it. That's what they are. They are a team that 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 uh, makes its makes its own holes, makes its own makes its own uh, slices of p- offensive possibility, and I think they'll pull it off in this. Do you think the Avs will? Yeah, I, you know, I, I still 
I sh but I think in some ways, again, I'll come back to this. We're still uh, being overly analytical in the sense that I, I think goaltending is going to be the preeminent factor in this series. Depending on how many pucks get to Vasilevsky. Well, he, 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 he isn't a guy who's made seven saves a game all year. In the regular season, he's been a guy who's, who's faced a fair number of shots and done a great job. And Rangers put a lot of shots on goal, right? Yeah. How, how are they getting 20 shots on goal, 20 shots on goal in like the last couple of games? So we'll see what happens. No, that. I'm asking. How, how is that happening with the team that is offensive-minded? That does push it like the Avalanche, although they you are mean not the Rangers. The Rangers, although they are not as good as the Avalanche. I'm no, they are. They're nowhere near as talented as the Avalanche. They're a team on the on the cusp of being a great team, but they aren't there yet. There were the the Rangers are where the Avalanche were two, three years ago. You, you think the Avalanche are getting forty shots on goal like they have in the previous years? They might. Years? Yes. You think? Yeah. No way. Well, we, we I could no be wrong, way. but I also I think could there, be wrong. There's also a significant chance that they could pull it off on maybe four on selected game. nights. I. I also think what's, what is potentially fun here is the variety in styles and uh, emphasis in each game. You know, I don't think we'll see seven games exactly alike. And on the nights when the Avalanche can't solve what you're talking about, we'll see how they adjust and how they how they try to uh, neutralize what the Lightning is doing. You know, you know what the Lightning are going to adjust with? Nothing. They're going to do what they do, and they're going to stick to their plan. There's then, then I think the Avalanche will find ways to solve that. I don't think you're... I realize it's hard to beat. I, it's hard to beat a team that's disciplined. If you get them out of their game, their comfort zone, what they do well, then yes, then yes, I agree with you. I don't. I think the Lightning are a great team, two-time champions. But I think you're 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 uh, you're uh, getting a little too a little too excited about it, about uh, making this one of the greatest teams of all time. I'm not suggesting that they are. But they are on the verge of winning three cups. And yes. I'm, I'm not picking them for that. I'm saying that I don't think it's a good matchup for the Avalanche. I, you, know who, you know who I liken them to? I liken them, I liken, I'm likening them to the 1983 Edmonton Oilers. Mm -hmm. A team that got swept by the Islanders. They were playing a dynastic team that was winning its fourth straight cup. Okay. And Tampa is, about to, is on the verge of winning its third cup. Mm-hmm. Period. And they, they, they do have plenty of Hall of Famers on that roster, too. Right? Yeah. At least four or five guys? At least three. Yeah. Coming up after the break, CBS Sports Cody Benjamin wrote an article titled, Non-Quarterbacks, Each Team Can't Afford to Lose. Who did Cody pick for the Broncos? That's next. I'm the one at the sale. I'm the master of my CEO. Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silterhar Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silterhar Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Welcome back. Afternoon Drive. Goodman Fry. Watch us. MileHighSports.com. You can reach us on the Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed, at T. Fry, at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for wholesale lumber to the public, go to rmfp.com. Time now for The Buzz. The Buzz is presented by Rocky Mountain Forest Products, where they specialize in wholesale lumber to the public. 
go to Rocky Mountain Forest Products in Wheat Ridge or go to rmfp.com. CBS Sports' Cody Benjamin wrote an article titled Non-Quarterbacks Each Team Can't Afford to Lose. Benjamin picked Garrett Bowles for the Broncos. This is what he wrote. Russell Wilson's supporting cast is relatively deep at the skill spots, and Randy Gregory's addition off the edge should take some pressure off of Bradley Chubb. But the last thing Denver wants to do is give its new star quarterback shoddy protection. Losing Bowles would be a big blow, considering the former first-rounder has settled in as a Pro Bowl caliber blind side starter. He slid He, he slid a little bit last season, though, so to, I think he's overestimated him with the Pro Bowl starter type. Okay. So he's he's not, but but the general point is fairly. It's hard to argue with. I I don't. I, in fact, I don't know how you can with the investment the Broncos are going to have in Wilson uh, after bringing him in. Yes, I mean that. I think they have to find a way to minimize the risk and the damage that he gets playing quarterback behind that line. Well, I put in the show notes. Give me another position at, on offense. Instead of Bulls, and honestly, I can't think of any. Oh, I say Javante Williams. If if he goes out, then you have, in theory, you have Melvin Gordon have to step have to step up and take the majority of the carries. Oh, he'd love that among the running. He would backs. love that, but he's not capable of it anymore. They need to cut his, as we've talked about. They need to cut his carries and upgrade Javante Javante Williams's carries, and so that would be almost a double negative, in the sense of you'd be giving you'd be giving. Gordon more carries and Williams is out of the lineup, and so I think that would be the, pr- the potentially paralyzing move. It would be. Uh, it's hard to disagree with what you're saying, but I think Melvin Gordon could carry the load. I absolutely believe that. Absolutely. Although, although I love Javante Williams, if I had to pick somebody, believe it or not, I'd take Billy Turner. Well, he's a question mark, right? So, but how? But he, he. Weren't we talking about if somebody was lost? The injury or something. Right. They they have three guys who are competing at right tackle. And I like Calvin Anderson. I don't know if he's an every game starter. Billy Turner, according to Justin Outen, the new offensive coordinator, and Hackett, this guy has really improved specifically when he was playing in Green Bay. I don't know how comfortable I feel with Calvin Anderson and the other guy that they have. I would much rather have Billy Turner. But I get what you're saying about Javante Williams because of his delicious potential that he has. His what? Delicious potential. However, I do believe Melvin Gordon could carry the load. I don't know why anybody thinks he can't. I don't think he can. I think he's got too many miles on him. We've talked about that, the Wisconsin. Well, but he's been he's been one of the Jonathan Taylor's been successful. Yeah. Okay. Melvin Gordon's been very successful on Wisconsin. Now, Ron Dane wasn't. Monte Ball wasn't. So it's kind of hit or miss. I, I think Melvin Gordon would be just fine. A veteran like that, who what has six consecutive <laughs> years of nine touchdowns. Let's hope the Broncos don't have to find that out. Right. Defensively, who would you pick? Bradley Chubb. Or Justin Simmons. Those are the you, two <laughs> I thought of. Way to pick the low-hanging fruit. But you're not. No, I'll go Pat Sertan. Okay. As a matter of fact, I would absolutely say Pat Sertan. Bradley Chubb, unfortunately, he's been undependable, no mm-hmm. fault of his own because of injury. But he would be a tremendous plus if he can stay healthy. It would be. But you take Pat Sertan out, what do you got? Ronald Darby as your number one? He's fine as a number two. I don't want him going up against 
Devontae Adams twice a year. Mm -hmm. Do you? No. Right. So when you look at their cornerback room, it's not that they're incredibly deep because they're not. I like the kid they got from San Francisco as uh, as their as their slot guy. I like him a lot. Then you have Darby. People are saying, well, Ojemudier looks better. Listen, everybody looks good in training camp. Right? Yeah. It seems like all the reports, and I've been and I've been to camp as well. And I, honestly, I don't know what you can really tell watching these guys not in full contact. But all I'm hearing is Ojemudier looks great. Okay. Well, we'll see. Ojemudier has underperformed his draft position. But Pat Sertan, Pat Sertan is the best guy on defense on that unit. Uh, the other one I mentioned, though, Justin. Do you disagree Simmons. with me? No, I would say Justin Williams, Just, Justin Sim- Simmons, you have to, a leadership component there. No, Justin, I agree. That's a good Justin point. If Justin Simmons is out, you have a void in the meeting room and in the game, in the huddle, everywhere. You're right, but I'll disagree on this. Russell Wilson permeates the entire locker room. Yeah. So you're fortunate there. It would stink to lose. Justin Simmons, and I'm not trying to... He's on the other side of the ball, too. And and he's far from the line of scrimmage. Okay, he's, It's mm-hmm. not like he's calling out plays. Josie Jewell will be the guy calling out plays. I don't want to diminish the safety position, but, I, <laughs> but the safety position, when you rank them in order of importance on the defense, you would start with edge rusher, and then you would go cornerback. If the safeties were any good, they'd be corners. Well... That's that's, not, a, that's a famous story from a, a former area quarterback in a NFL camp. Well, I'll give you I'll give you another famous thing. If you were if you were that good as a cornerback, or if you had if you had great hands, you'd be a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Oh, right? I, no, I don't think I'd go along with that. Oh, I, I I actually I don't disagree with that. Why would a guy rather be a cornerback? Generally speaking, if he has great hands, why wouldn't he want to be a wide receiver? I don't know. Everybody loves to play offense. Everybody loves to play. So offense. you're saying all cornerbacks and safeties are are reject offensive players. I didn't. I first of all, I didn't say all, and I never used the word reject. Uh, safety, yes. With safety, you probably don't have the same type mm-hmm. of speed to handle a slot receiver or a burner like a Tyreek Hill. I'm with you on that. I mean, that's why you had Kareem Jackson go from cornerback to safety, mm-hmm. right? Ronnie Lott. What did he start his career at? Cornerback? Cornerback. And then he became a safety. Daryl Green. Billy Thompson. Right. Because maybe you're losing a step. Not a knock on Justin Simmons. Not a knock on Kareem Jackson. But generally speaking, uh, who do you think has better hands? Wide receivers or cornerbacks? Oh, wide receivers. Well, that's right. That's my point. Except maybe Dion would dispute that point. Well, he played both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. So... Anyway, all right, coming up after the break, Nuggets made a trade, the first in the Calvin Booth era. And when I read this, I'm thinking, would Tim Conley have made this deal? That's next. Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Can't keep up with my 
Welcome back. Afternoon drive. Goodman Fry. Watch us. MyLifeSports.com. You can reach us on the Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed at T. Fry at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for wholesale lumber to the public, go to RMFP.com. Time now for What's Trending. What's Trending is presented by Low T99. Testosterone treatment made easy and affordable. For just $129 per month, they'll send you testosterone, supplies, and the price includes lab work. Go to LowT99.com. Okay, Nuggets have traded your Michael Green and a protected 2027 first-round pick to Oklahoma City. I don't know if I'm going to be alive in five years to be able to <laughs> watch that pick move, but 2027, and this is what the Nuggets get in return. 30th overall pick and two future second-round picks. We know how the Nuggets have done in the past, certainly under Tim Conley, in the second round. So the Nuggets have picks 21 and 30 in the first round of the draft on June 23rd. And, oh, by the way, they will also get uh, second-round picks in 2023. How would you evaluate Calvin Booth's first deal? He traded a 31-year-old non-entity who wasn't contributing much and got ended up with two first-round draft picks. And, and well, one first-round draft pick. Uh, they got the 30th. They already had the 21st. But with that, they got rid of eight-plus million on their cap for a mm-hmm. guy who was given a player option, who is going to exercise that player option, who I wouldn't want to have on my roster at that price tag, considering his production, also considering Michael Porter Jr. will be coming back. They, they need, and, and you know what? He has an expiring contract, mm-hmm. just like Will Barton has an expiring contract, and you want to get rid of uh, many of those as possible. <laughs> How about the other, thir- the other 30-ish, well, G- Jeff Green's 35. Right. You got to get, rid of, gotta get, get right. rid of him, too. And you know what? People are going to criticize and say, well, the Nuggets don't need to get any younger. Well, you know what? Yes, they do. What's that? Sure they do. You can always get younger. No. I mean, Jamal Murray is young. Michael Porter Jr. is young. Jokic really isn't that old. That's really the guts of the team. And then throw in Bones Highland. They're young mm-hmm. enough. But having two first-round picks, that gives you options. Two second-round picks, too, down right. the road. It gives you options to maybe want to trade up to 15 and maybe get a guy who's a terrific wing defender. Anytime you're comp- – you're, uh... You are compiling draft choices. You're building the possibility of trading them in a package. That's right. I mean, people forget it's kind of like the NFL. If you have two first-round picks, maybe you might want to trade up. Maybe there's a guy that Calvin Booth is eyeing. And, yes, you will be getting younger. I understand that. Now, the only drawback of having two first-round picks is that's guaranteed money. Mm -hmm. So that is going to offset Jermichael Green, in theory, taking $8 million off your cap. And oh, by the way, don't think for a minute that the Nuggets are doing this so they don't have to spend into the luxury tax. <laughs> they are spending into the luxury tax no matter what. Well, I think he, he should keep an open mind about trading virtually any, anybody on the roster except 15. And that even includes Jamal Murray if he comes back and is healthy and is flashy and draws interest. I couldn't agree more. And I like... I like Jamal Murray. I like what he did before he got injured. But if you're telling me, I here, you're going to think I'm nuts for saying this. And Danny, you're a big Nuggets fan. Tell me if I'm nuts for saying this. If I put together Murray and MPJ in a package for Dame Lillard, would you take it? Yes. No. No. Sorry, Danny, I didn't jump in there. I'm I too emotional. I, I wouldn't it. do it. Well, that's why, you, that's why you shouldn't be what Tim Conley was. 
too emotional. You don't want to trade the guys you like. Yeah, just like Tim Connolly. Right. Dame Lillard. So he got and there somehow. Lillard and Jokic together. I mean, that, that's almost unimaginable. Yeah, but I think the trio of Lillard, Murray, and Jokic, or the trio of Jamal uh, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and Jokic will be better than just Jokic you have, and Lillard. You have far more faith in MPJ than I do. Me too. I do. Yeah. I do. So you're betting on things you haven't seen as opposed to what you know is actually possible. So you want to keep waiting, waiting, waiting for these guys to develop into all-stars instead of bringing in a dead-eye shooter like Dame Lillard. You know exactly what you're getting. And, oh, by the way, you know what else you're doing? You're getting rid of Porter Jr.'s contract. Do you think anybody will take that? We're talking no. theoreticals here. No. No one wants to go anywhere near it. Would you? No. No. I like Jamal Murray a lot. I understand he's a young player. But to get it, listen, I, I, I would have been more than happy if the Nuggets traded MPJ and Murray for Bradley Beal. Does that work for you, Danny? No. Oh, God. <laughs> really? It's three players versus two, and I think that the three of them are significantly better than Jokic and any one other player would be outside of Giannis and Kevin Durant, maybe. Maybe LeBron James and Steph Curry. But there's a lot of guys on that list that aren't going anywhere, just like I don't think Dame Lillard would go anywhere. Eric has a furrowed brow, as we put it. Well, I understand you're trading in division. You have a much better chance. You would feel less confident knowing you have a healthy Dame Lillard or the other guy that I mentioned over a guy coming off of back surgery and a blown-out knee for this upcoming season? Um, I would. I believe that this three, this big three of the Nuggets is going to be very good. And I would take three over two. I like Bradley Beal a lot. I was hoping they could get a deal done for him to bring him in with Murray and Jokic. Well, they would have to trade MPJ, but wait, but wait, I thought MPJ is going to be through. I'm not going to trade MPJ and Jamal Murray. One or the other, maybe, but not both. Well, no one's trading for MPJ. No one's trading for him. Then what's the conversation we're having? I'm saying maybe a team will be just as excited as you and jump on that, because I would jump on that in a second if, if somebody offered me Bradley Beal or Dame Lillard. But... Getting back to what we were talking about, they dumped some contract, uh, which is for, good. To go full circle, what as his first deal, is this a promising move yes. for Calvin? Because you know what? Calvin Booth? Here's the thing. I don't know. From what I've been told about Calvin Booth, he's not married to these guys like Tim Conley was. Tim Conley didn't want to trade any guys that he liked. The only guy that he really wasn't that crazy about, honestly, I think he liked Wancho a lot, personally. Mm -hmm. He wasn't crazy about uh, Malik Beasley from what I was told. Mm -hmm. He had no problems getting rid of him, which is ironic because now he has him in Minnesota. Maybe Malik will get dealt back here. How about Will Barton? Oh, well, as I was told before Tim Conley left, I was told by somebody with intimate knowledge of the Nuggets thinking, a, a solid NBA source, that trading Barton was near at the top of their list even with Tim Conley in the building. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, you can get rid of what fourteen million with him, right? Yeah. You just got rid of eight million with Green. You try and get rid of the other eight, whatever <laughs> the other Green's making. It and it's not about. It is not about trying to be under the the, the luxury tax. It is about being able to add maybe a stud defensive player and a really good outside shooter. Just think of what they could have. Mid-level exception, by the way, plays into it too. Just think what they could have done the last three years if they'd gotten any money from Comcast. Those budgets do not cross over. I know. I'm giving you a hard time. One has nothing to do with the other. And by the way, we have no idea how good uh, Michael Porter uh, Jr. Well, I shouldn't say that. Um, It really doesn't matter because... Nobody really had a chance to watch the Nuggets last year anyway. <laughs> no, we did Right? How, how, Legally. How, how good are the Nuggets without MPJ and Jamal Murray? We really don't know because over 50% of the population were, watch it. You were watching reruns of Becker. No, you watch reruns yeah. of Becker. I watch reruns of Hee Haw. What do we have coming up on Argonaut Wine and Liquor, just in case you missed it? Rory McIlroy fired some, some shots after winning the Canadian Open this weekend. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk a little bit about Kale McCarr and some attention he's getting from some Hall of Fame avalanche. That's coming up next right here on Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry on Mile High Sports. Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silterhar Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silterhar Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Welcome back. Afternoon Drive. Goodman Fry. Watch us. MileHighSports.com. You can reach us. Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed at T Fry at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for a wholesale lumber to the public, go to RMFP.com. Time now for the final word. The final word. Presented by Sasquatch Casino in Blackhawk. Just in case you missed it, is presented by Argonaut Wine and Liquor. You need to see why Westward named it the best liquor store in Denver. Five years running. Or order online at ArgonautLiquor.com. Just in case you missed it, yesterday Rory McIlroy won the Canadian Open and uh, in his post-tournament interview said, This is a day I'll remember for a long, long time. 21st PGA Tour win, one more than someone else. Now, he didn't name any names, but Rory's comments sound like a dig at Greg Norman, now the CEO of the Live Golf Series, uh, who had 20 PGA Tour wins in his career, is the budding rivalry between the PGA Tour and Live Golf Series good for golf. It would be if it was just simply a business rivalry between two entities that you could find praiseworthy energy coming from. But Either there's a one. political undercurrent. There's a there's an undertone to this that's really really ugly, and I don't I don't I do not consider it a healthy rivalry at all. Yeah, and these two factions, these two leagues, are never going to merge like the ABA and NBA, AFL, NFL. And the other thing, background here with with Greg Norman was for a lot of years he would sponsor and ran 
uh, the shark, the the two man tournament, off days, not a regular tour tournament, Greg Norman's own tournament, and so he was kind of a a little bit of a competitor for the PGA Tour himself previously. Right. I mean, listen, Greg Norman would have had far more wins on the PGA Tour had he not, for lack of a better phrase, collapsed in so many majors like he did. Because he should have won so many more majors. Unfortunately, he he went up against... Listen, when when he lost, I think it was the Masters in 1998, maybe, 1999, whenever it was. Um, nineteen no, it was 1996, 95, 96, when he had that historic collapse. You remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. It was against uh, Nick Faldo. Historic collapse. But then he lost majors where guys would hit amazing, impossible shots to win. You look at Greg Norman's career and look back on how he lost majors, you almost feel badly for the guy. Uh, you don't have to feel badly for him at all. No, but at the end of the day... Yes, I know he's made a lot of money, and he is he has taken advantage financially of his brand. I understand all of that, but and while money is very important, winning majors and being remembered as an all-time major winner is important to these guys. Just in case you missed it, Kale McCarr's impressive talent has been noted by members of uh, Colorado's 2001 Stanley Cup winning team. A couple of Hall of Famers gave comments for an NHL.com piece about McCarr. Ray Bork said, I'm just really impressed with him, how he plays defense, how he competes, and how strong he plays, and how tough he is to play against, even with all that offensive talent. Patrick Waugh, I think he could become the best defenseman to ever play the game. Do you view this uh, as homerism or genuine praise from the Avs Hall of Famers? I think it's genuinely... Heartfelt, especially in, in uh, Patrick Waugh's case, the interesting codicil uh, mm. to that is that he was a guy who did uh, not like uh, small yep. scooter type yep. defensemen. Right. But so what what he is saying is he's so good he trans he transcends my personal preference for big bruising defensemen, and so that's interesting to me. Ray Bork is kind of is kind of Kale McCarr before his time in some ways. He was not quite as flashy. Never not, skated like not, him. No, but he's he, he's in the same realm. So praise from him is, heart, I think, heartfelt, genuine, and worth considering. But I want to go back to your point about Patrick Waugh. He and Joe Sacco would go at it about talent on the roster. And Patrick Waugh wanted big defensemen. He was living in the 1990s, and that's what it needed to be. And you know what? <laughs> Patrick Waugh... Has been proven wrong. I would be interested to see and speculate how he would have reacted to Kale McCarr being drafted in, in, in that two, in that 2017 draft year, right? Because that was Patrick had just quit. He would have been against it, but they might have drafted him anyway. No, I understand that. But if Patrick Waugh was in charge of the draft, they never would have had Patrick. They would never would have had no. him probably, right? No, and Patrick Patrick also had a prejudice for major junior players. Kale McCarr took the junior A hockey and NCAA hockey route right. going to Amherst. So I think UMass, UMass. And I also think that that uh, Ray Bork probably saw McCarr play collegiately back in the East. Right. Well, clearly Patrick was a talent evaluator. Very good in some cases, but major blind spots in others. We probably shouldn't have guaranteed that Patrick Waugh would have rejected Maybe he would have seen 
seen uh, Bakar's transcendent talent and decided I'm going to make an exception. Well, I tell you what, you know, we should compare it to somebody. John Elway wanted a big, strong-armed quarterback, but didn't think that Russell Wilson was tall enough. Right? But he liked, he liked the Brock Osweiler type. Sometimes when you are stuck in your ways, you are refusing to move, even though what is sitting in front of you is obvious to everyone. But because you have your preconceived notions, it's not obvious to you. And that's where Elway made a mistake in a couple of his draft picks. Mm-hmm. Paxton Lynch. Yep. He's tall. Just, I was gonna play it, but I don't, I don't see. No, it I can, right I can, there. I can take. I sound just like Vance Joseph. Yes, yes, he's a, he's a, he's a tall man with a big arm. That's what he sounds like, <laughs> essentially. Uh, just in case you missed it, Alex Ballantyne of Bleacher Report ranked young NFL quarterbacks who will take a, who will take the biggest leap in 2022, uh, in reverse order. At number five, he had Davis Mills with the Texans in his second year this year. Number four, Trevor Lawrence, going into year two with Jacksonville. Number three, Tua Tagovailoa, year three with Miami. Number two, Mac Jones, in year two with New England. And number one, Trey Lance, going into year two with San Francisco, a guy who we haven't really seen much of, of those five QBs who takes the biggest leap in 2022. I'll take Lawrence. Bad team, but I think he's going to be in a situation where he can thrive. Listen, Trey Lance, what I've been, what I've heard, hasn't been overly impressive in practices. But then again, I've heard that he has a, a tremendous football mind. So we'll see how this all works out. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the guy. Davis Mills is a really good quarterback. Is a really good quarterback. Unfortunately, he's in, he's with a crappy franchise. Really is. Yeah, it's tough for a lot of those talented quarterbacks like Trevor Lawrence when yep. you have to go to a team at the bottom of the barrel. Uh, Just in case you missed it, Draymond Green shared his views on Celtics fans on his podcast, saying they're more obnoxious than the Cleveland fans he got to know while battling the Cavs in the finals. Are Boston sports fans the most obnoxious in all of sports? Yes, period. End of sentence. Worse than New York fans? Yes. Actually, no, that's not true. I I can't believe I'm saying this to you, but I'm going to say it to you. You're wrong. I'm wrong. I'll go with Philadelphia fans all day. Okay, no, I'll stick with Boston. I'll stick with... They booed Santa Claus. Well, maybe he deserved it. Maybe he was late that night. They threw snowballs at him. They cheered when I think a Cowboys player was carted off the field. That happens everywhere. You know what? No. no. When when a guy from another team is carted off the field with an injury, the, the, the home fans cheer. Really? You Maybe think? they're cheering for him in support, saying they hope that he's going to recover uh, quickly. Okay, all right, enough, enough, enough. That was Argonaut Wine and Liquor. Just, that was a nice try. That was Argonaut Wine and Liquor, just in case you missed it. They always have great specials going on right now. All 750 milliliter domestic wines are 15% off. Don't forget, Argonaut delivers to the Denver metro area. All deliveries over 100 bucks are free. Go find them off of Colfax or order online. ArgonautLiquor.com. That's going to do it for us. Alex, Danny, great job today. Same with you, Terry. By the way, a little programming note about you. You are going to be covering the Avalanche in the Stanley Cup Finals, not only at home, but you are going on the road once again away from me, and I know you feel better when you are not in the but, same but room. But I will me. check in from Tampa. Yes, you will. Make it the best possible night you can. Get.